What I'd like to do is speak to you and do a two-part series on um, these wonderful verses. And just two verses we're going to look at. I'd like to speak to you about Jesus came to save to the uttermost. He came to save to the uttermost. Aren't you glad? He's a great Savior as we sung this morning. It's all focused on His death, His person, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and soon He's to come back again. So we continue our study through the Gospel of John. And by the help of God, we have worked our way up to this point, John chapter 3. So please turn with me if you have your Bibles to John chapter 3. Our text is actually verse 17 and 18. We're just looking at two verses because there's a lot here. But what I would like to do is begin uh, to read at verse, uh, start beginning with verse 14 to read to verse 21. Because that is within that paragraph and that section that our Lord is addressing Nicodemus, a very religious man. And um, there is much truth here that is given within the context of these two verses of what we're going to be looking at. So since these verses are uh, in the major heading of what our Lord is teaching Nicodemus, let us uh, look at that. Uh, hear God's living word this morning. Chapter 3 of John, beginning with verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness, rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. Let's stop right there at the this part, and please bow with me in a moment of prayer as we seek our Lord's blessing in His face as we look into this wonderful text this morning. Our Father and our great God, Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, we do thank You for Your holy word, first and foremost. This is the revelation from heaven. This is the truth that your word contains to save us, 
For it has the power to do so to the uttermost. It has the power to sanctify us and, and continue to sanctify us and keep us and preserve us to the end of our journey here on this earth until we are ushered into glory. Lord, I pray that you guide us and lead us and teach us. As we look into this text, help me, Lord, to, to speak your words of truth in love. I pray, knowing that all we need for salvation and sanctification is Jesus Christ alone. He is sufficient. He is a sufficient Savior. For in your one and only Son, there is victory over sin, even in our failings. There is victory over death, hell, and the grave in which the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished through His death, burial, and resurrection. For in Him is our only hope. He is our living hope of eternal life. So Father, I pray, open each one of our eyes, take the scales off our eyes that we would see Jesus only and open our ears that we would only hear Jesus. Open our hearts that we may be changed more into the, His loveliness and likeness. And Father, we will be careful to give You the honor and the glory. And we ask this in Your Son's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Although God, in His great love, has graciously offered up and has given His Son and given to the world salvation through the person of Christ. John 3.16, as we looked at Lord's, last Lord's Day, and that wonderful verse that just burns brightly as like a burning bush, a golden text, we called it. For God so loved the world that He gave us one and only Son, His only begotten Son, that Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This great salvation is not appropriated except by penitent believing and active faith in which the Holy Spirit gives unto us. And it's all in Christ alone and no one else. Jesus Christ and Him alone. The lost are already condemned because they have not believed in, and literally the Greek puts that, believed into. Just not in, but into. The name of the only begotten Son of God. Now let me first give you on the offset here in this introduction the backdrop of what makes the gospel so sweet and beautiful. And it, it's really the bad news, because it's, but it's the truth. And God never withholds the truth, but this is exactly what the Scriptures give to us to make the good news so sweet and make the good news the good news. While the final sentencing of judgment of those who reject Jesus Christ is still future tense, John chapter 5 you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. Beginning with verse 26 to 29, the Lord Jesus Christ says this concerning judgment. 
For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself and has given Him authority to execute judgment. Also, because He is the Son of Man. And then Jesus says this, Do not marvel, don't be surprised at this, for the hour is coming. The hour is coming. Let me put a footnote here. This will happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is yet to come. In which all, now hear that, not some, all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, is speaking of actually those who are believers, will be judged according to their works in Him. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ concerning judgment. This judgment is yet to come, and it's a judgment of unbelievers. That they, the believers will be judged at the great resurrection morning according to their works in Christ. We will be all judged and brought before the bar of God, and for the point of conversion of all that we have done, the good works... The bad works, no matter what it is, will be brought. There is no condemnation to the believer because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we do not have to, as a believer in Jesus Christ, does not have to fear the condemnation or the frown or the wrath of God. But yet, the believer will have this to fear. Because the believer will stand, as you read in Revelation chapter 20, 19 and 20, specifically to 19, there is the great white throne judgment that all unbelievers, and that means every single person that has rejected Jesus Christ, will stand before the great white throne judgment and give an account of every single deed that they have ever done from the point of their birth until all the way to the point of their death. Now, some of you might be thinking, what about babies? Well, we know that babies are ushered right into heaven. God takes them on. But to those who reach to the moment, the time of accountability, which I personally don't know. I don't think any of us knows, only but God. Some would say in somewhere in the teenage years where they come to a point of reason, maybe earlier, where children understand the gospel. Only God knows this. But from that time, all unbelievers at the, ju at the judgment will... will be a, there will be a consummation of what has already really begun. Now, in saying that, let me ask you a question. Do you know when the verdict has made for your life? Is it future tense? Even though there is a future good judgment, but do you really know when the verdict was made for your life? Do you really know when the hammer of God's gavel fell down and pronounced guilty? The question is that that's the question, but the answer is this. When you and I arrived on planet Earth, to that point of accountability, but yet we're born, even a babe is born with a sin nature and a bent to rebel against God because of Adam's fall. 
You and I have arrived on this planet as unbelievers, not believing in Jesus Christ. The gavel fell, the verdict was already rendered, and the sentence was already passed, and it's already been passed. There's no one counting your record to see if your good outweighs your bad deeds. Even though God will bring that to account on the day of judgment. But oh yes, God knows everything because He's an all-knowing, all-wise God and everything about you, nothing gets by the eye of God. And He's well aware of the record of, of our crimes, your crimes, against Him and the laws that we have broken and the rebellions that we have caused against Him. But that is absolutely nothing, has nothing to do with the verdict because the verdict has already really been passed. It's already been passed. The divine judgment has already governed the judgment. He's ruled it. The gavel has already come down and you and I have been condemned and sentenced to hell already. Now you don't hear a lot of that in churches today. You don't even hear it very, um, very, very often or is or. At all, But Jesus spoke more outside of the kingdom of God about the doctrine of hell than any other doctrine. And we believe in preaching the whole counsel of God here, so you will hear that. Now, another footnote. Now this is the truth that our Lord Jesus Christ is actually teaching this religious man, Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees who came to Jesus by night in this context. What Jesus is teaching here in verse 17 and 18 and all the way down through verse 21 is He's contrasting light and darkness. There's a contrast. He's contrasting true belief and unbelief. He's contrasting salvation, not condemnation, to the believer and condemnation, not salvation, to the non-believer. Now what we see in these two verses, in verse 17 and 18, is this great and glorious truth. First of all, is that we are told the reason why God sent His only one and only Son. Verse 16 has emphasized that. It's a great implication. But yet, verse 17 is a carryover of what is being said. So second, we are also told that each person can receive eternal salvation through Jesus Christ and what Jesus has accomplished for us in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So let's look at the first point. Let us look at the reason Jesus came. The reason Jesus came is found in verse 17. He tells us why God sent forth His Son. For God did not sent His Son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It's incredible that our Lord Jesus brings this to our attention because the good news is really, what, this is what His mission is all about. He comes to save to the uttermost. Jesus explains to Nicodemus, this very, very religious man, in this context that He was sent not to condemn the world, but to save. He's a Savior. That's His nature. That's God's nature. 
And God is unchanging in that. The Father sent Him to die. That was why He was born. He was born to die on the cross as a sacrifice, the Lamb of God, on behalf of sinful men. 2 Corinthians 5.21 We love this verse so much and you'll hear it quoted quite often here. He made Him. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, says the Apostle Paul, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, now notice that very carefully. That doesn't mean He was sinful. It says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. We, we are sinful flesh. Jesus comes as a man, uh, as, as fully man and fully God. And yet He was without sin. And He is the only person that has ever lived that lived a completely, totally perfect life without sin whatsoever. Not one thought of evil, not one thought of bad, not one bad motive. All of His motive was holy love. Every, His whole entire life was one perfect life. So God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for, for sin. God condemns sin in the flesh. You know, if you think about that for a second, it shows you how much God hates sin. He hates it, and folks, we cannot comprehend this. That the second person of the Trinity, one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity had a mission, and this was all planned, the plan of salvation, as we sung about this morning, was drew up in the eons of eternity past and a covenant between the Father and the Son that the Son would go to this world in which He knew already that it would fall. He knew this beforehand. The plan was already drawn up. So the plan of salvation was drawn, but Jesus, and all, by the way, in, the, in creation and redemption, three persons of the one triune God is part of creation. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. So therefore, in salvation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all play a tremendous part in accomplishing salvation. Romans 8.3 And just as is a supreme proof of Abraham's love for God was his willingness to sacrifice his son, Isaac, in Genesis 22. But on the far, far grander scale, the Father's offering, Abraham, the father of our faith, offered up, offered up his son. But see, on the far, far grander scale, the Father offered up his own son. Those, as Brother Ben mentioned, there's types and shadows, and, but now the reality is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is that unspeakable gift, His one and only Son, the supreme manifestation of His great and His infinite love for lost sinners. It's really incomprehensible to us, but this is why Jesus came, to be a Savior for sinners. He came to seek and save the lost and call them to repentance. Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, Paul says in Philippians 2, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond slave and coming in likeness of men and 
been in, found in appearance as a man, uh, appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. This was his great condescension. This was his great humiliation. From the point, and we're going coming into the Christmas season very soon, but we'll be focused on the the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he came into the world, and when he came and entered and was born into the feeding trough, could you imagine? See, people would think that the Messiah, the the Son of God, the King, was going to come, but he did not come and was not born in kings' palaces. He was born in a feeding trough. A feeding trough with animals surrounding them. A lonely place. Cold place. Cold and dark. This is how Christ entered into the world. And that was the point of humiliation. His humiliation. And all through His life He said, The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay His head. He lived as a homeless, lonely person, but yet as the Messiah and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords incarnate and the Son of Man. And he goes to the point of his ultimate humiliation to the point of death, to the death of a cross. Folks, the crucifixion was the cruelest in that time period that was actually the Romans if I'm not mistaken here, the Romans patterned it from the Syrians. And it was cruel, it was barbaric, it was inhumane. They hung people on a cross in total shame and nakedness. And it was the most excruciating, most shameful death, most degrading, most humiliating death that was ever devised by depraved men. It was a slow death. The slowest death that you can imagine until they would suffer for hours until the heart bursted. And they died and breathed their blast. But they did it and they hung that person and that criminal on a cross for rightly so because of the deeds that they committed. And as you well know, Jesus hung in the middle between that day between two thieves. And those two thieves represent all of mankind, by the way. One, if you notice the story, one rejects Christ, mocks Christ, does not fear God. The other comes to him and says, Lord, remember me when you come into that kingdom. And Jesus said, this day, you will be with me in paradise. It was a long, long confession of all of his sins. He came and basically what he was saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. That's what he was saying. So the death of a cross was the most cruelest of all deaths. And here God the Father and God the Son had planned this in eternity past, folks, before the foundation of the world that was even before the world was created, before things set in motion, before the stars were created. This was already planned in the great mind of God. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says this, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. See, your sanctification has already been ordained of God. Your perseverance to those who truly believe will persevere. And then he says this, and you will be without blame before Him in love, having predestined, 
us. That means He has marked you out to be His, His son and daughter. To the adoption. That's how we know that. Because we are adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. He's reconciled us according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace. And Paul just burst out to the praise of the glory of His grace. And he's worshiping God because of God's plan of salvation by which He made us accepted. Listen to those wonderful words. He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Nothing we have done. Again, uh, Edwards said it right. There's nothing you and I contribute to our salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. There's absolutely nothing there we can glory of. Nothing. Because all the glory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ because we cannot earn salvation. We cannot gain salvation. We cannot gain eternal life within ourselves because there's nothing within ourselves that's good. It's outside of ourselves. It's all in Jesus Christ. It is the sovereign grace of God that brings salvation to sinners. It's, it's His great love by His Holy Spirit, through His Holy Spirit, and through the mediation of His Son that has reconciled us to the Father. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, Paul says, and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came. Listen to that. He came into the world to save sinners. And listen to what Paul says here. The Apostle Paul, of whom I am chief. He says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And yet, God set His heart on him that was a terrorist persecuting the church of God. Stopped him in his tracks. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't seeking God. Matter of fact, he thought he was the most religious man on, that, on the face of the earth at that time. And he thought what he was doing was God's service and killing Christians. He really thought, like a lot of the terrorists today, it's for a holy cause, they think. But they are deceived. And Paul was, at that time, Saul of Tarsus was deceived until Jesus Christ knocked him off his horse and he came to his face and he saw the brightness of his glory, and he was blinded. And the first thing he said, Lord, when he came, and he says, Who are you? And Jesus responded, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecute. You get that? He was persecuting the church. That means he was persecuting Christ. Because the body of Christ is one with the head. Jesus Christ came into, this, uh, into the world to save sinners. Isn't that wonderful? He came to save us. To deliver us. We're going to look into that. What the Word of God says about that. It's more than just a ticket salvation, folks. It's more, it, it, by the way, it's far, far more than fire insurance and a, a salvation ticket. He saves to the uttermost. And let's look at it. Look, 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, through 6, another great verse. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What did He do? Who gave. Again and again we see God gave. God gave. Who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That follows up with Titus 3, 4-7. through 7. 
but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior. Notice that. Savior. He's our Savior. Toward man appeared not only um, by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to the mercy, the compassion that He saved us through the washing and the regeneration of the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He has poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Then the Apostle John in 1 John 4.14 And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other. No other salvation, folks. Jesus is it. There's not two saviors. There's only one Savior. And Christ is it. And then he says this, For there is no other name, no other name, under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. We must be saved. As Jesus says, you must be born again. That mighty and, and, and glorious name of Jesus Matthew 1, 21, and she, speaking of Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You know, Jesus means Jehovah saves. Joshua, Jehovah saves. For he will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do. I'd like to ask people, if you're saved, what are you saved from? What are you saved from? Are you saved from yourself, your, your, your self-life? See, Jesus saves us from our self-life. Jesus says to follow Him, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Me. That's the Gospel. He come to save His people from their sins. From their sins. And also, let me make a footnote here. Not in their sins. From their sins. It makes me cringe, beloved, in this old world we live in. And I know people to pray, but it still hurts me and cringes me. And I did it once myself too. So I'm not without fault on this. But using the name of the Lord in vain. How many times do we hear not only God this and God that and God this, but we hear Jesus Christ's name spoken in an unworthy manner of disdain and flippancy. I'd say something and that person would say, the Lord's name, they're in vain, using the name of Jesus. And I'm thinking, that's the only name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And you take it in vain? We've all done it, haven't we? But now we, we know as God has given us a new heart, that name is precious to us. It's like precious ointment. It's a precious name. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And knowing that This is the only name under heaven given among men. We must be saved. Oh, beloved, salvation is given through that name. It's through that name we call on God. Through that name it ushers us into the presence of God. And I I would commend you and, and, and suggest to you, if you hear someone say that name in a flippant way, lovingly say, let's pause here for a second. Do you realize what you've said? 
I told this guy years ago, let me give you a small illustration. He would go around and say the Lord's name like that. I was, he was my boss, by the way, in the grocery store. And uh, we, we called him Stompy. He would go around and stomp his foot like this. I mean, constantly stomping. He was like, he was all the time just, just frivolously moving about and he was doing his job and he was, in a sense, he was very active in doing his job, but under his breath all the time. Using God's name, God's name, God's name. Finally, I, I, I came to him. I said, boss, can I speak to you just a few minutes about this? Now, I know within... I said, I, I can't change this man's heart. We can't be the Holy Spirit, right? But we can testify to the grace of God in a loving way. And I, I, I said, aside, I said, I'd like to challenge you, boss. Um, you know, you use uh, God's name quite often. And it's not in the right way. Matter of fact, it's, it's done in such a vain, flippant way. I said, did you ever think about just take God's name, the living God, by the way, out of what you're saying, and just put Buddha's name there? Or Confucius, or uh, another false God. I said, that's fine, but don't put the name of the holy living God. <laughs> and sure enough, one day I saw him after I talked to him a few days after that, and here comes Stompy, just stomping. And he got mad, he was mad about something, and he said, Oh Buddha, oh Buddha, oh Buddha. Well, anyway, I just, I know I can't change the man's heart, but at least, you know, I pray there was a small impact there. So, may, you know, you're, you're a light. And didn't Jesus say that? You are the light of the world. Shine in the dark, dark place where you are. Shine. And we want Jesus to shine through us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about it. That's what Jesus is talking about. You just don't confess Him to come to an altar and say a sinner's prayer. He says, you confess me before men. I'll confess you before the Father. That confession is all through our life. And that means evangelism, folks. We're to evangelize and tell people the good news of the Gospel. Well, that wasn't in my notes, but I thought I'd swing that in there. Romans 10, 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise of God. But we also need to realize what it means to call on the name of God. That calling on God is repenting. Because the Lord Jesus says, Repent and believe the gospel. Repent or you will all likewise perish. John the Baptist preached, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus preached, Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. We need to tell people lovingly, look, you must repent or you will likewise perish. And folks, I understand everything, what you're, how difficult that is because people don't want to hear that. That's a very hard word and it will offend them. Absolutely, it's offensive, isn't it? But we must do it in the love of God and care for their souls. And if we have a hard time caring for their souls, just read the Scriptures Get on your face before God and ask God to give you a burden. And He will. And by the way, He'll give you His burden. We'll call, the call, the call upon the name of the Lord is to repent and believe the gospel. So God the Father sent Jesus, the greatest gift He had, His own Son, His one and unique only Son, to justify us, to redeem us. God sent Him to live a perfect life to fulfill the law so that we would be the righteousness of God in Him, that we would be clothed in His righteousness, 
to live a life of victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not perfectly, but yet with the remaining sin, we continue to practice righteousness and not to practice sinning. Jesus is our substitute, the Lamb of God, to pay a debt that we could never pay. That's what the word ransom means, to redeem us from the slave market of sin and purchase us as His very own people, to adopt us in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of His own dear Son, to cleanse us from our sins, to wash us from our sins, and to continue in Him, to abide in Him, to love Him, to love each other, to live for Him in holiness and love. Isn't it wonderful? He's translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And again, for what purpose? For what purpose? Well, we've seen first of all in Matthew 1.21 to save His people from their sins. I think that's a great purpose, isn't it? He saves us from our sin. But He also saves us from the wrath to come. God's wrath. People say, yeah, but doesn't He save us from hell? That's actually what hell is, folks. It is the wrath of God that will be poured out on people's souls throughout all eternity to those who reject Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus took when He died on the cross in those three hours of darkness when He cried out to the Father and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He leans upon Psalm 22 there and he's quoting Scripture, and yet he's taken the hell, the wrath of God. We cannot comprehend, folks. I like what G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, I, can't, I actually have some of his writings and books, and he was a great preacher. He was the preacher that um, actually preceded, was before Martin Lloyd-Jones in that wonderful church in England. And... I came to that verse and I looked at the commentary uh, that Jesus was quoting that on the cross from Psalm 22. And I love, probably the best commentary I've ever read on that verse was G. Campbell Morton. Because he had such reverence for the Word of God. And the Bible says we're to fear God and tremble before His Word. And you see, G. Campbell Morton knew how to do that. He had the heart. And by the way, he was a convert to D.L. Moody. Moody... That was one of Moody's men that he converted to Christ. He won him. Jesus saved him, but Moody went after him. And Jesus, of course, went after him before Moody, but Moody was... But this is what G. Campbell Morgan said about that verse. He said, you know, he said, how can I say anything? Because anything that I say is not going to come up to what is really meant in this verse. He says, so therefore, I take off the shoes of my heart and I worship right here. Because it's so deep, it's too deep. All I can do is worship. All I can do is worship. For God so loved the world. For God did not send His Son into the world. Notice, verse 17 begins the way verse 16 began. For God. For God. Verse 17. Verse 16. For God so loved the world. So loved the world. Then in verse 17, For God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but the world that the world through Him might be saved. So in the first advent, Jesus Christ comes to be our Savior. At the second advent, He will come as the judge of all the earth. Have you ever thought of this? There's only one planet earth. 
And there is. There's a lot of people trying to say there's life on other planets and they're giving more time, wasting all this time trying to find life on other planets. But this planet Earth is what God has honed in on. And this is one planet Earth. There's only one humanity right here on this Earth. And there's only one Savior. One God, one Father of all, and three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and has determined to set His love on this world. And he had, Now think of this. He did not choose angels. Why, why not bring up angels here? Because angels are an um, important part of the gospel in being messengers. They are messengers. They sent... They're fiery ministers. They're ministers of fire. And they bring... They, they're chosen... If you notice, Michael comes to Mary and he comes to Zechariah in the temple. And throughout the Old Testament, you see messengers are sent to do God's bidding. They're servants of God. But there are a portion of angels that fell. As Brother Keith mentioned about this morning, a Lucifer fell like lightning. And there was a third of the angels that followed. God cast them out of heaven. And the, where do you think they went? Well, some of them are here on this earth and they're fallen angels. That's where the demon spirits come from. That's right, and they're real. But there's also some that God did chose in His sovereignty to lock up in chains into darkness of perdition. And by the way, there's no plan of salvation for them. They're finished. They have got the judgment. They have got what has come to them in perdition and never known God's holy love since their rebellion. But God chose to love the world that He gave His only Son. And God shows His love in common grace and the gospel invitation. Now, the general call is telling people the good news of the gospel. That all is invited. No one is excluded. You could come to this feast. Receive Christ and repent and believe the gospel. But there's also, that's the general call, but there is a special love, a special grace that God has for His own people in the world. And that's the elect of God, the beloved of God, the believers, those that are adopted children in Jesus Christ. Now I know that you that's been in uh, Southern Baptist circles for a while, you won't hear a lot of this. You only hear one side of it. Kind of like Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but you never hear much about double imputation that He also not only forgives us of our sins and He clears the guilt, but He also dresses us and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and gives us the power to live victorious as children of God. That doesn't mean perfect victory, but you know what I'm, it's saying there. We have the righteousness of Christ. But also, in a sense of salvation, there is the general call, the general love of God to the whole world that you're invited to come. Whosoever will. We believe that because it's in the Bible. But the whosoever will is to all, but it's only to those who believe are God's elect that come within the household of faith. It's those that God has appointed believe the gospel. So it's believers by faith that come in, and that is called the effectual call. 
Theologians call that because, why do you think they call it effectual? Because it's effective. Isn't it? It's irresistible. In other words, there's a scripture that Jesus says, I believe it's in John, and, and, and it goes like this. All that the Father gives me, Jesus is speaking, will come to me. Get that. They will come. And then he says this, and he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. It's like you see the sovereignty of God there and man's responsibility there. It runs parallel. We can't figure this out, folks, but it runs parallel and they do not contradict each other. It's It's an effectual call. It is effective. The call is effective and these are God's chosen in Him before the foundation of the world and they believe the gospel. Now, only God knows who believes. You know, Spurgeon said this. I wish... He said, well, I don't, I don't, when I go evangelize, I don't see a mark of God's elect on people's back. He said, I don't see that. So therefore, we must tell the gospel to the whole world. That's why Jesus go preach the gospel everywhere to everyone. And God always brings His person in. Always. These are the ones that come to Jesus. They repent and they believe. They hear His voice. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says in John 10. They follow me. They love me, he says. They obey me. They obey the gospel. They just don't sit on it and think about it and know it in their head. They they are transformed with their hearts because they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new because they're in Christ. Well, let's get to my next point here. I have to hurry. Next, we see the believer is first. In verse 18a, he who believes, Jesus says, in him is not condemned, is not judged. Now, again, there's only two kinds of people here. There's believers and non-believers. Or unbelievers. Nothing in between. You're dead in sin or you have died with Christ He's taken your sin and you're in Christ. You're in Christ or outside of Christ. There's no in-between. That's what we must see. Jesus said there's a straight gate, a narrow way that leads to life, and there's a broad road, a broad gate that leads to what? Destruction. There's heaven, there's hell. There's nothing in-between. There's no purgatory. And believe me, there's not one verse in the Bible that can prove purgatory. Only heaven and hell. Christ or hell. As Spurgeon says, repent, believe the gospel, or perish. It's repent or perish. I heard a sermon years ago, holiness or hell. And by the way, it's Christ's holiness, not ours. And it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You got the unbeliever, you got the the believer. Jesus points out the believer first. Which one describes you this morning? Well, Jesus talks about the believer. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We see first part of this verse that one that truly believes in Jesus Christ are not condemned. So what does that mean? 
It basically means the one who is lean with all of his weight, with his heart, has trusted Christ alone as Lord and Savior. By the way, Christ is not divided. He's just not Savior, He's Lord as well. The one who has placed all their trust and faith in Christ, in His person, in His works, and all that He is and what He's accomplished on the cross, and all that He says that He is to Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He and His perfect works and His righteousness by faith and faith alone are saved to the uttermost. They're saved from the wrath of God and they're saved from their sins. Go with me very quickly to Luke chapter 5. I like to look, draw your attention to this wonderful text. Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 27 to 32. I love this. It says this. Beginning with verse 27, chapter 5. After these things, he went out, Jesus. And he saw a tax collector. You know, tax collector didn't have too good of a reputation like today. They were often crooks and swindled people. His name was Levi. Guess who Levi is? It's Matthew. He's Matthew. Sitting at the tax office. There he is in his office. He swindled people. He did. He, he had hardly, probably no friends. You could see why, right? He said to him, Jesus said two words, follow me. Follow me. How did he respond? So he left all. He rose up. Don't you love that? He left all. He rose up and followed him. He obeyed. And then Levi, then what did Levi did? He rejoices. And this shows you that he must have known something about the person of Christ. Because after this, he gave. That's what the Christian does. After he's saved, he gives. He doesn't take. He gives out. You know, you say there's only two kinds of people in this world too. Givers and takers. Well, a Christian is the greatest giver because God loves it cheerful giver. Levi gave him a great feast. He gave a great feast in his own house. He gives a party. And there were a great number of tax collectors. Wow. Other tax collectors came to the party. (laughs) And others who sat down with them. And get this, the scribes and the Pharisees saw this. What did they do? One translation said they grumbled. They complained against his disciples. Now I find this interesting that They were grumbling against the disciples of Christ. And this is what they asked. Why do you eat and drink with these tax collectors and sinners? You can almost hear the sneer, right? Why do you do that? You should not participate with these filthy, low-down scums of the earth. The tax collectors are sinners. They're off-scours. They're the rejects. They're the losers. Verse 21 it's interesting, the master answers for the disciples. He's the master, and I think he's got the right words to say. And notice what he says in verse 31. Jesus answered said to them, <laughs> I love the way the Lord comes. Those who are well, listen to this, have no need of a physician, 
but those who are sick. He gives an illustration here. He says, you know, the person that really needs the physician are those that realize that they're sick. They know that they're very sick. And what he's saying is that these people that was in that mist, these sinners, had a realization of their own sin in a sense, and they realized that they were sin sick and they wanted to follow Jesus. Here are the religious people saying, oh, you've got to be separated. You've got you to be separated from them. But Jesus says, no, there's no separation. There's a separation from the world. Don't get that, okay? I mean, get that. There is a separation. That means holy. But the Pharisees took it to another level. They took it to the level of self-righteousness. And it wasn't true holiness. We are to be holy. But Jesus teaches us what true holiness is. Jesus makes his point crystal clear, and then he says this, I have come to call... I'm sorry, I have not come call, to call the righteous, but sinners to what? Repentance. No compromise. He ate with sinners, and he was the sinner's best friend, but he called them to repent of their sin. He answers... Well, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. Notice, He's the seeker and He's the Savior. You hear this all the time. I gave Jesus my heart. That's not in Scripture. It wasn't us that did the giving. It was God that did the giving. That's what saves us. To save to the uttermost. To save that which was lost. He did not come to judge the world. He came to save the world from eternal death. Look at the third point. Unbeliever. Unbeliever. 18b. But he who but. There's the but. He who does not believe is condemned. Oh, say you're a believer or you're a non-believer. There's no other category in between that. That is condemnation. He's judged because he... He's already judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Because, beloved, at this point of so much, so much of importance, this is incredibly important. This is the most serious matter because it's a matter of eternal life or death. Whether you are a believer in Christ or a non-believer. And listen very carefully. He who does not believe has been judged already. You've already been judged, as I already opened up with the introduction. And that word already is the key word in the text. Why? Because Christ came with great love and kindness and mercy to save to the uttermost because God is good and the Father pours out His mercy in Jesus Christ and His love. He sent Him to a cross to die. And beloved, let me say this. You don't need to run to religion. You don't even need to run to any other person, any philosophy, or anything else, but run to Jesus. If you get anything that I remember, anything that I said, children, children, you got my attention? Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. I got smiles now. <laughs> Amen, that's something to smile about. Run to Jesus. Christ by nature is a Savior. God by nature is a Savior. Romans 10, 9-11 tells us specifically that if we confess, if you confess with your mouth, there's confession. 
The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. You don't make Him Lord. He's already Lord. We submit to His Lordship. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Amen? The Bible says you come into the status that can be defined as this from the Bible. No condemnation. Full pardon. Rescued from the curse of the law. Cleansed from all guilt. Declared righteous in His name. Granted eternal life in His name. And never to be removed. You will be persevering. He holds you fast. Amen? But on the other hand, if you don't believe, you have been judged already because you have not believed in the name of the Son of God, the only begotten Son. The Lord Jesus Christ has finished the work of salvation. He's completed it. He shed His precious blood. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, as Colossians says, He, Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. The Greek word there, handwriting, referred to the handwritten certificate of debt by which a debtor acknowledged his indebtedness. In other words, all people... All has come short of the glory of God. One God, through Jesus Christ, has paid the debt. We owe God an unpayable debt. Why? Because we violated His law. We have broken His law. We've rebelled against God. We come into this world, like I said earlier, born rebels. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul graphically compares God's forgiveness of believers' sins to wiping ink off a parchment. And through Christ's sacrificial death on the cruel cross of Calvary, God has totally, completely erased our certificate of indebtedness and made our forgiveness complete. All because of Christ is death, but beloved, but you must believe and repent for that to be your own and to be appropriated. There's much more I like to say here, but let me conclude with this a close and true story. How a young man, a young man, excuse me, a young man was converted to Jesus Christ by the grace of God. On January 1850, a snowstorm almost crippled the city of Colchester, England. A teenage boy was unable to get to the church he usually attended to, so he made his way nearby a primitive Methodist chapel where an ill-prepared layman was substituting for the absent preacher. This lay, this lay preacher text that day, he preached from the text, Isaiah 45, 22, which says, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And that was it. For many months, this young teenager had been miserable and under deep conviction of the Holy Spirit of his soul. 
But though he had been reared in a church, both his father and grandfather were preachers, by the way, he did not have the assurance of his salvation personally. The unprepared substitute lay minister did not have much to say. He repeated himself constantly from the text, and this is what he said. He said, quote, A man need not to go to college to learn to look. A man not need to go to college to learn to look. He shouted, Anyone can look. A child can look. A child can look. But who do we look to? About that time, he saw the visitor sitting on one side and he pointed to him. And back then they did this. They would call people out and he pointed to that young teenager that was sitting there so miserable. He said, young man, you look very, very miserable. You look very, very miserable. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. Young man did look by faith, by the way. And it's by faith. And that man became one of the greatest preachers England ever had and the world continues to be blessed by his writings and his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Isn't that wonderful? He was converted to Jesus Christ by a lay minister. A nobody. That did not have much to say. But the text, Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. Beloved, this is what I charge you this morning. Look to Jesus. As Jesus said that in John, this is why Jesus said this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And what he's basically, the, the, the children of Israel had to look Those that were bitten by those serpents had to look to that serpent, on that bronze serpent on the pole. And Jesus said, you look to me. You look to the cross. Christ crucified. You look to Him. We look to Him with everything you have. And faith. Faith in Jesus. Christ in Him crucified. He died. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Holy Word this morning. We thank You for the truth of Your salvation that's given to us in Your Word. It has been accomplished. We thank You. We believe it. Lord, graciously, so graciously come to us now. Thank You for loving us so much through Your one and only Son, for loving sinners, Christ crucified, the just for the unjust, the the righteous one for the unrighteous. Thank You, Father. Thank You, dear Lord, for sending Your one and only Son to save us to the uttermost. And we praise You, we thank You, we exalt You, we glorify You for the great plan of salvation. We thank You for accomplishing it through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray... If there's anyone here today that has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, today will be the day of salvation. Today will be the day of visitation. And I pray, Lord, that you would show your great mercy and love and grant repentance to the unbeliever. That they would come to you because you said, 
He that comes to me, I will no wise cast him out. And come to believe and to repent. Father, you said it through your Son. We must repent or we will all likewise perish. That's the message. We thank you for the good news. We praise you for your long-suffering toward us and your mercy and goodness. And we lift up Jesus Christ, your Son. And we pray for His sake. In Jesus' name, Amen.